The text that we consider this evening is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not the first Christians ever to have struggled with anxiety and with worry. And that is evident from this text here in Philippians. Another way we could translate the opening words of verse 6 is be anxious for nothing. Worry for nothing. Now the Philippians at that time in their history had plenty of things that might have occasioned worry and anxiety. On top of the many things which occasion worry and anxiety for every human being who's ever existed, the Lord only accepted. The church at Philippi at this time was suffering persecution and were beginning to suffer for Jesus' sake. You can imagine how that kind of suffering and persecution would occasion or at least tempt the Philippians to worry and to anxiety. What's going to happen? What's going to happen this year? What's going to happen with my family as the persecution began to sink in more and more? Another matter that might have been the occasion for worry and anxiety was the Apostle Paul himself, who at the time he wrote this epistle, was in prison. Now the Apostle Paul was so instrumental in the early church of this period. And you can imagine a thought like this, what are we going to do without the Apostle Paul? What is going to happen to the Apostle Paul? The Philippians, as evident from the Apostle's command here in verse 6, were no different from us in that respect, that we are by nature prone to being anxious and to worrying. But even the Apostle Paul was human just as we are human. And the Apostle Paul had many a burden that weighed him down from the moment he wake, woke up to the moment he laid his head on his bed, if he slept that night. And you can imagine the Apostle Paul, too, struggled at times against things like worry and anxiety. In one epistle, he speaks that he says that the care of all the churches is upon me. All of these churches that God had used him to establish. Imagine having all of that now on your mind and on your soul every day that you live. And so the apostle himself would have had to practice what he preaches here in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. In those moments when care turns into anxiety, pray. That's what he tells us to do here. Inspired word of God, be careful for nothing but pray. And now with that one word pray, we wrap up all of the language that we find in verse 6 after be careful for nothing. Prayer. What a blessed contrast to being worried and to being anxious. What a blessed gift of God that he has given to us. This avenue, this approach unto him and before his throne of grace through Jesus Christ to unburden ourselves and to speak with him and to commune with him. 
Now this text here in Philippians is, uh, is fitting on the occasion of prayer day. The history of prayer day, why is it in the church order? The history of prayer day is that back in the day, the churches decided to set, up, set apart one day at the beginning of the planting season, the growing season, that the church together might express her dependence and trust and petitions to God our Father. Now, in those days especially, farming was a lot uh, closer to home than it is for many of us. They, they lived off the ground, ground a table a lot more than we did. And when it comes to worries and anxieties, farmers know everything about them. Think about the worries a farmer must be tempted to worry with as he plants his crops, realizing that all it takes is a, a drought, a famine, hail, spoil the whole crop. And so the, the church, not only farmers now, but the whole church realized the propriety of setting apart a day so that the church might be renewed in her trust, in her dependence, in her childlike confidence upon God, because it all depends upon him. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. This text is fitting in connection with prayer day, not only because it addresses those worries and those anxieties that there is not one of us who is accepted from, but also because of the text teaching on prayer. There are so many pearls here in these two verses when it comes to prayer. What prayer is, the how of prayer, the when of prayer, all contained in verses 6 and 7. So let's consider then, this text, verses 6 and 7, under the theme, don't worry, but pray. The main contrast, don't worry, but pray. Noticing in the first place the meaning, noticing in the second place the manner, and noticing in the third place the promise that's given for us in verse 7. Don't worry, the apostle says. Don't be anxious. Be careful for nothing. And now that idea of worry and anxiety, we hardly even need to define what those are because we have all felt them and we have all experienced them. We know worry. We know anxiety. The words, for those two words there, themselves express so much of what worry and what anxiety is. The word there, careful, be careful for nothing, in the original language has the idea of division, divided. And one gets the image of a heart and a mind being pulled this way and that way by worry on the right and an anxiety on the left. We feel pulled to pieces in our minds and in our hearts because of the anxieties that consume us. And then there's the English word anxious, a synonym for worry. And that word anxious comes from a, a root that means to choke. And how fitting is that? For an English word for a worry, that which chokes, that which grips, we can hardly shake it. It fills our minds. We can't shed the thought. We can't escape the thought, the worry, and the anxiety. Now, what are we anxious about? We have already seen what the Philippians were, uh, were anxious with, possibly. But what are we anxious about? Jesus himself tells us what we are anxious about in Matthew chapter 6. And that's where we have the well-known words, take no thought for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, or wherewith ye shall be clothed. Take no thought for the morrow, 
And Jesus there puts his finger right on those things which are great occasions for our being worried and our being anxious. Take no thought for what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, wherewith ye shall be clothed. Bodily necessities, money, our jobs, how we're going to provide for our family. Are we going to have enough in the year ahead? <clears throat> what are the numbers in the bank account? What way are they moving? All of those worries that have to do with bodily material necessities. <clears throat> but Jesus, in Matthew 6, doesn't only leave it at food and clothing and... Um, raiment. But Jesus also guards us against worrying about the future. He says, take no thought for the morrow. And right there, Jesus puts his finger on something that is so near, to, so close to home for us, worrying and being anxious about the future. We can't see into the future, but we think about the future all the time. And what happens so often is that as we think about the future, not just tomorrow, but the next week, the next month, the next year, realizing how much is uncertain and unstable from our human perspective, realizing our own impotence and smallness, we are flooded with worry and anxiety. Before we've even lived that day, we're already worrying about a day that we have not even lived yet. So now we have our own cares and anxieties today and the cares and anxieties of tomorrow that we import and with which our hearts and our minds are troubled. Worry and anxiety is not, is not peculiar only to one class of people. Old and young, parents and child, we all have our worries and we all have our anxieties. Parents worry about their children. What's going to happen to their children? What's going to happen at school for their children? Who are they going to meet? Who is going to talk to them? Worries, anxieties. Children worry and children are anxious. Anxious about school. Anxious about social life at school. Social media, cell phones, all of that is just one giant window for anxiety into the soul of a child that chokes and that grips so that the child can hardly escape, can hardly think of anything different. Worry and anxiety. What do we worry about? What do you worry about? And it almost behooves us now to take five minutes of silence as we all get before our minds the things that we particularly worry about and are anxious with. Because this is a, a perennial, universal maxim that we are prone to worry and anxiety. What's the result? In verse, in verse 7, we'll see that in the third point, the apostle speaks of peace. Worry and anxiety result in the exact opposite. Worry and anxiety means unrest, disquiet, trouble, the kind of nagging thought that you can never get rid of that follows you to the bed so that you can hardly sleep. Sometimes an anxiety that grips so tightly that we can hardly take a step forward. There's no peace there, but our hearts are flooded with unrest and with trouble. Hence our need for that peace of God that the Apostle speaks of in verse 7. The astounding command that we read in verse 6 is be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about anything. Now, that's remarkable, that command, um, for a couple reasons. But first, we ought to clarify that idea. 
When the apostle says, be careful for nothing, literally now, be anxious for nothing, he's not saying stop being diligent. He's not saying stop being faithful. He's not saying stop your work and stop your labors. Be careful for nothing here is no, is no license for laziness or anything like, anything like that. And the, one is a fool who would take a verse like this and pray and then sit on his couch and then wait for checks to fly in through the window to support himself and his family. We know that's not the idea. But the idea of be careful for nothing has to do with the attitude and the frame of our heart and our mind. Being careful, in this case, being anxious, is a distrustful attitude and a distrustful frame of mind, as we'll see in a little bit. A man may work hard. Yes, he may, and God calls us to be diligent and to be faithful in our stations and callings of life. But that's different than worrying about it and being anxious about it while we're doing it. It's the difference between a man who works hard in peace and with contentment versus the man who might work just the same without a shred of peace whose heart and whose mind is filled with anxiety. Now the apostle says, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And the first word in the original language is this great big word, nothing. That's what he emphasizes. That's what's put first. Nothing. And the apostle here doesn't leave any room, no space, no purchase for us holding on to this worry or to that worry, this pet anxiety or that anxiety that we like to harbor and that we like to think about so much. Nothing, he says. He takes our anxieties, he bundles them up into this one great big package with the word nothing on it. Be careful for nothing. Now, this is remarkable because we are prone to worry about everything. And now he says, nothing. Now, he doesn't leave it at that. He says, don't worry, but pray. Notice that the apostle does not leave it only at the negative. He says, be careful for nothing, but, and that's a strong but there, that, that, that conjunction, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's the, that's the opposite now. This is the antonym. This is the positive course of action. Don't worry, but pray. Beautifully simple and yet frequently hard to practice. The reason we point out the positive is because the, the very structure of verse 6 brings out an important biblical and even pastoral principle. He doesn't leave it at don't worry, but he adds the positive, and he gives us the positive course to replace it with, something to do instead of worrying and being anxious. And that's important. Without the positive, if he only left it at don't worry, we'd say, yes, Apostle, yes, Paul, you're right, I know what's wrong, I shouldn't be doing it, but tell me something to do instead. And so the apostle does not leave us in no man's land. But he says here, don't worry, but pray. Another reason that we're thankful for the positive here is that when it comes to worry and anxiety, again, by nature, we are prone to running this way and that way to something other than God to solve our worries and to replace our anxiety 
with a calmness. That is, we're, we're prone by nature to run everywhere except God for help in our worry and anxiety. So the one man runs to the bottle and he drinks himself drunk. And yes, he's forgotten about his worries and anxieties for a couple hours or however long, but he wakes up and now his head hurts and all the worries and anxieties are still there. That's folly. And so the apostle gives us the positive. Don't worry, but pray. That is, go to God for help in time of need. Now, what is prayer? The Westminster Larger Confession calls it offering up our desires unto God. Offering up our desires unto God. That's a nice definition. And it's fitting in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. But even before that, there's a, a broader idea of prayer. Prayer is speaking to God. Prayer is what John Calvin called familiar conversation with God. And when he said familiar, he didn't mean that it's a kind of casual uh, banter like between two buddies at school, but it's, it has the intimacy of a child and a father kind of conversation so that the child has a boldness to approach God in prayer and to unburden himself before God, his Father. That's what God calls us to do in time of worry, to pray to him. Prayer is being with God, communing with God. What does a child do on this earth? Uh, now looking at the human relationship. When the child is burdened, when there's something weighing him down, where does he go? He goes to the Father whom he loves and whom he knows loves him. He goes to the Father whom he trusts, the Father whom he knows has a care for him. And the child opens the door and walks into the office and speaks with his Father those things that weigh him down. Now that's an earthly picture, but it reflects the higher relationship and the higher communion that we have with our Father in heaven. That kind of freedom and that boldness to approach God in prayer. Now when the apostle says, don't worry but pray, and we paraphrase that of course, prayer is really faith expressing itself. So that when we pray, there's faith being expressed in the prayer. They're, they're so close, prayer and faith. You can't separate them. They go together. It's prayer, it's faith breathing, as it were. Now, why do we bring up faith? Well, because when it comes to trust, worrying and praying cannot be farther apart. Those are polar opposites when it comes to trust. Now, in both of those things, worrying and praying, there is trusting going on. But the reason they're polar opposites is worrying is trust in completely the wrong direction whereas prayer is trust in the right direction and to the right person. Think about worry and anxiety. It's distrust in God. And what it is at root is trust in something or someone other than God. And you know who that someone often is? Ourselves. Worrying and anxiety, and anxiety we're trusting in ourselves. We're depending upon ourselves. We're leaning upon ourselves. What we are trying to do when we worry and when we're anxious is we, creatures of the dust, are trying to grab the reins over every aspect and every circumstance of our lives. We, the creature, 
are trying to take control of everything, not only with regard to ourselves, but with regard to our children as well. We are trying to be sovereign, but we can't be sovereign, and we can't control everything. We don't have the reins, and it's when we recognize that and feel that and recognize our impotence that the worry and the anxiety flood into our soul and we crumple beneath it because we're just creatures. We are, we are made of, of clay. We're dust. And we can't control everything. And the sense of that is the ticket in for worry and for anxiety. Prayer now is trust in completely the right direction. Prayer is the child depending upon his father with that childlike confidence. Prayer is the abandoning of trust in ourselves and committing ourselves and our lives and our concerns into the hands of our Heavenly Father. It's trust. It's faith. Prayer is the acknowledgement that I can't. And the acknowledgement that not only can God, but He does and He will because He promised. It's a beautiful thing. You see the the discrepancy between worrying and prayer, you see this great big contrast when the apostle in verse 6 talks about making our requests known unto God. And those two words, unto God, there literally are towards God. Prayer is a towards God reality. Prayer is our eyes are up. Our hearts are, are, we lift our hearts up. Worry and anxiety, our eyes are on the ground. Our eyes are not any higher than the ceiling in our room, and we're, our eyes are on ourselves and on the things that trouble us, and there's no peace there. Now, according to the flesh, prayer is not always an easy thing. Because we're troubled with worries. We're flooded with anxiety. And now to think of praying, do we have time for praying? And our, our flesh balks against that. But that's why the Apostle adds verse 7, which we'll see in the third point. Now in this text, the Apostle gives us great teaching on prayer. Prayer is exactly it when it comes to being worried and anxious. Pray! Don't worry, but pray! Don't worry, uh, don't try to stop worrying and sitting there inactive, but pray! The Apostle teaches us the how of prayer, the when of prayer, the what of prayer, so many different things when it comes to prayer. And on the foreground in verse 6 is supplication, making requests known unto God. Those two are related. Now perhaps we're familiar with the acronym that helps guide us in our own prayers, uh, the acronym that helps us structure our prayers, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, uh, Supplication, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. On the foreground now is supplication. Making requests known unto God. Supplication is petition. And making requests known unto God is bringing before God the things that we stand in need of. In the first place it means this. It means telling God what worries you. And telling God what's making you so anxious. God opens himself up 
for us to pour out before him our worries and our anxieties. And that's important to remember because we like to bottle things up. We don't like to share those things in our heart that trouble us so. And when we bottle up, things only get worse. Things only fester. Tell them to God and pour them out before God's throne. That's prayer. Now, when the apostle says in verse 6, let your requests be be made known unto God, that is, your petitions, those things that you want to ask and those things that you feel that you need. And he says, let them be known to God. Make them known unto God. Tell him what you need and tell him what you desire. The idea here is not as though God does not know already. We know better than that. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, verse 8, that God knows what we need before we even ask him. So we're not telling God anything new. But that's not the point. The point of prayer is not informing God of something he doesn't know already. But prayer now is this vehicle, this way, this avenue that God has given to us whereby we unburden ourselves of those things that weigh us down. As the psalmist says in Psalm 55, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. And we find that echoed in 1 Peter. Now that's a wonderful principle there. Psalm 55 and in Philippians 4. God bids us to throw our anxieties and to throw our worries upon him. He says, don't try to take those by yourself. Give them to me. Cast upon me those burdens and those worries and those anxieties. What a, what a wonderful God who tells us to tell him. He knows already, but he says, tell me anyway. For your sake, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain me. The apostle also says here, not only supplication, prayer and supplication, letting your request be made known unto God, but he also says, in everything, And there's a a contrast there in the text. Nothing. That's the first word. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the in everything now is, is the contrast of the nothing. And in everything here means in every situation, in every circumstance, especially now those circumstances that worry you and that give you anxiety. In everything, supplicate, make petitions, make a request known unto God. So in the first place, we learn that prayer generally is not a once or a twice thing. Prayer is is not something we only do when there's trouble. But prayer ought to be the breath of the Christian that permeates our lives and that is as regular for us as eating three meals a day and more. But now especially in everything that is in those times and those situations of worry and of being anxious, pray. Now, in everything, we might be limiting ourselves by being over-spiritual here. Perhaps we think that God is only interested in things that have to do with the soul. 
and that God really does not have any care or concern over things that have to do with the body. But then we're being over-spiritual. Then we're thinking that, that the things that concern us in our bodies are, are too far below God for us creatures to bring them before God's throne of grace. But here the Lord Jesus, in his Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray, is our instructor. Because even before the petition for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. For bread. Now, if bread is not too beneath God for us to bring before him in prayer as a need and as a request, think about how much that includes for us. The things that have to do with the body, the things that have to do with our earthly existence and our earthly life. God says, tell me, bring them to me. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Now in prayer, we do well to remind ourselves that our prayers ought to be regulated by the will and the word of God. And now we guard against a a terribly shallow view of prayer that makes prayer just about the Christian telling God what he wants, expecting God God to give him everything that he wants. Well, that's a, a terribly shallow view of prayer. Prayer is not in the first place about our getting. But as we saw earlier, prayer in the first place is about our approaching God, communing with him, and speaking to him, and conversing with him. And when it comes to our wants, we know ourselves that what we want does not always line up with what we need. And even, even when it comes to what we want, how often are our wants motivated as they are in the Lord's Prayer by, in the first place, a desire for God's glory and a desire that God's will be done? Those are big items that ought to be in our prayers. Not just the things that we need here below, but that God's name be hallowed and that God's name be glorified and that his will be done. Another striking aspect of the text is that the apostle tells us to give thanks in those prayers. Again, the acronym, another important aspect of prayer is thanksgiving. You see the importance of it from the Apostle's own example when he begins the epistles to the various churches. And in almost every one, the Apostle says, I give thanks to God for you. Or I give thanks to God for this or for that concerning you. Thanksgiving, again, like supplication, ought to be a regular part and a regular aspect of the prayers that we make. And now we need to hear that. Because especially when it comes to those times of worry and anxiety, it might be the last thing that we feel like doing that is to give thanks unto God. Give thanks? And when we pray, the temptation can be in those moments to make our prayers completely petition, only asking of God. And we forget to give thanks. So this is a necessary admonition here. The apostle says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Another reason for the importance is that this item of thanksgiving teaches us that prayer is not, and life generally, is not just about me and my. But thanksgiving here, this aspect of prayer, puts us in the right perspective, elevates our minds above simply the things that we need. But it helps us see the big picture. 
Now, what do we give thanks? What do we give thanks for? How do you summarize that? For who God is for us, for being a heavenly Father, for adopting us to be His sons and His daughters, for giving us everything that we have stood and needed for the year past, for promising to give us everything that we need in the year ahead, for His love, for His mercy, for the forgiveness of sins. The list you cannot exhaust. And now we need to hear this because we are prone to forgetting thanksgiving when we are in trouble. The apostle, to paraphrase, says this, when you are worried, don't be worried and don't be anxious, but pray. And when you pray, and when you pray about those things that worry you, and when you pray about those things that make you anxious, don't forget to give thanks to God. Because we like to rush quickly by to the things that we need, or at least the things that we feel that we need. But what a helpful corrective by the inspired apostle. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And there will always be reason for thanksgiving. There is not one circumstance or situation in your life where you will not have reason to give thanks in your prayer. No matter what troubles you, no matter what anxieties we may have, there is great occasion for thanksgiving. Think about what we confess in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, is that not reason for thanksgiving that God has made us belong to Jesus? That God has united us to Jesus Christ? And that Jesus is our faithful Savior, not only uh, with regard to the soul, but that in body and soul and in life and death, I am not my own, but belong to Jesus. There's tremendous occasion for thanksgiving. And no matter what the circumstances of our lives may be, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No one and no thing can rend that union that God has established between his Son, Jesus Christ, and us, his members. Therefore, give thanks. And when we are worried, and when we bring those anxieties to God, give thanks. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That's the promise that the apostle gives us here as a motivation and as an encouragement to pray, especially in those times when we don't feel like praying. And we can hardly stop thinking about these worries. There's this promise here. The peace of God shall guard our hearts. The peace of God shall replenish our souls. Mark, no. That this is the answer in the first place to those prayers that we make to God. The, the answer in the first place is not about us getting. The apostle does not say in verse 7, pray and you'll get everything you pray for. It's not about that. That doesn't matter right now. It's peace. God knows our need for peace. And God here in verse 7 promises peace. Again, another important teaching on prayer. It's not just about getting. It's not even mainly about getting. The peace of God shall guard your hearts. And whether we get or don't get, the peace remains. 
Now what is this peace of God which passes all understanding? Peace, you think calm, you think quiet, you think being at rest. And that calmness, that quietness, that rest arises from, this peace of God, that calmness arises from the assurance of God's love and care for us in everything, no matter what. That our lives are in the hands of a heavenly and a faithful Father. And that our Father is the sovereign one who holds heaven and earth in his hands. The peace of God. Remember earlier when we talked about the result that worry and anxiety gives us. And it's like a sea that is roiling and the waves are billowing and the winds are whipping. That's what's going on in our minds and hearts with anxiety and with worry. Peace now is like when the Lord Jesus stilled the Sea of Galilee. He said, peace be still. And the waves and the wind subsided. That's the image that we get when we think peace. And now this peace of God is the peace of which God is the source. And it's the peace that only God can give and that man cannot produce. The peace of God. It implies reconciliation, the peace of reconciliation, this peace of God. Reconciliation by the blood of Jesus Christ, which gives us peace towards God, which assures us that all is well between us and God, and that there is no more enmity, and there is no more uh, condemnation, because of Jesus Christ. Without that peace of reconciliation, there's no peace anywhere. There is no peace, there is no rest to the wicked. But God reconciles us, giving us peace with him. And now this peace of God, God gives for our help in time of worry and in time of anxiety. The knowledge of God, the assurance of who God is for us, all included. All will be well. Now we read about this peace of God that it passes all understanding. Literally, the translation there is that it surpasses all mind. It goes above and beyond anything that mind can produce. And to make that more general, this peace of God is above anything that man or that we, by our own willing or doing or thinking, can produce. Try as man wants, he he can never produce this peace of God. Now, there may be a superficial and an external antidote that he takes. Maybe it's a self-help book that he picks up from the bookstore. That's man. That reeks of man. This is the peace of God which passes all understanding that we cannot do ourselves. God gives it to us. Not only that, we read about this peace that it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's a beautiful expression. Keep there literally means guard. And the image is now of the peace of God being the the military guard that is standing guard around our hearts and our minds. We have so many things that bombard us, so many things that want to trouble us and give us unrest and disquiet. The peace of God now wards those off, protects us from them, those things which want to disturb us. And this peace of God finally is in literally in, and as it's rendered in the King James, through Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. Through Jesus, God works in our hearts. And by the Spirit of Christ, God works this peace in our hearts. 
Now, this is important that we find this promise in verse 7. As we've already mentioned, there are many times in our lives where we do not feel like praying. Many times when we are so consumed with this thought or that thought or this worry or that worry that we cannot tear, away our, tear ourselves away from it. And so the temptation for us, according to the flesh, is not to pray, but to keep in our worry and in our anxiety, trying to control things ourselves. But now the, pro, the, the apostle gives this promise now as encouragement for us, incentive, motivation for us to pray. And more good is done with one or five or however many minutes of prayer than with one or five or however many minutes of worry and anxiety. And now we chide ourselves for our folly at not praying and waiting in our prayers as we ought. But this is God's promise, to renew His peace for our worried and anxious hearts through prayer. To knock the waves down, to cause the wind to subside, and to renew us in His peace, this peace of God. God is in control. God is sovereign over everything. And we are His sons and His daughters. What reason for worry and what reason for anxiety? God is able to do all things being Almighty God and He's willing to being a faithful Father. All things necessary for us. And this being a promise that God joins here to prayer means that when we pray, to pray believing this promise and not to pray doubting, not to pray uh, uncertain about whether or not God will give us peace through prayer, but pray believing it and even expecting this peace as God himself would be expected by us. Because God loves to be taken at his word and for us, his children, to cling to his promises. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for this blessed promise in thy word and for thy peace, which thou dost give unto us. We thank thee for the gift of prayer and for opening that way by the blood of Christ, whereby we, thy children, might come before thee and pour out and unburden ourselves of the so many things that beset us here below. Make us to be a people of prayer and grant that we might find delight and joy in prayer. And when there are those times in our lives, Father, where we are cold and where we are dry as respects prayer, give us the grace to keep on and bless, Father, the prayers that we give unto thee and that we offer up unto thee and be near unto us. And let us know daily that thou art our sovereign God and Father and that our lives are in thy hands. And purge from our hearts and minds all anxiety and all worry. And let us know that peace which thou hast promised in Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us sing together Psalm number 150. <clears throat> 150, a versification of that psalm, Psalm 55. 
Notice stanza four, thy burden now cast on the Lord, and he shall thy weakness sustain. We'll sing all the stanzas. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.